This week, the capital region got a taste of both summer and winter. Temperatures ranged from the 70s to near freezing. It also marked the start of the holy month of Ramadan for Muslim families in the capital region. And a complete closure of the Northway southbound on Wednesday caused an epic traffic backup that's the stuff of nightmares for local commuters. Coming up on this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the week's top headlines. I say this to the prankster who might be listening to this podcast. We want to tell your story while at the same time protecting your anonymity. We'll hear about the efforts of an Albany-based mission to vaccinate as many of the city's homeless as possible. They had like less than an hour to vaccinate 40 people. So you're fully vaccinated. Now what? We'll hear more about what exactly is safe to do this summer. You are allowed to gather indoors with a friend or another household that is fully vaccinated. And we'll hear how members of the Capital Region Islamic community have found a silver lining in observing Ramadan amid a pandemic. It turns out some of them didn't mind isolation. It gave them more time for the family, more time to attain spirituality, and it wasn't as rushed. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. A look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. Okay, let's join Times Union editor Casey Seiler now for a look at what appeared this week in the Times Union and on timesunion.com. But just a warning before we do, some of the subject matter and the sound bites in this segment contain depictions of graphic events. So please listen with care. Hi, Casey. Thanks again for joining us. We're going to talk about the top headlines. Let's start with a mainstay of the Albany skyline these days. The Corning Tower is lit up every night and it says New York tough. But last week it didn't say that. What did it say and what happened? Yeah, I love this story, Jess. Uh, Friday night, it was noticed by several people, including passers-by to the Empire State Plaza, as well as anybody who can see the Corning Tower. And because it is the tallest building between Montreal and New York City, lots of people in the capital region can see it, especially in Albany County. The large heart had on top of it, rather than the words New York tough, which of course has been Governor Andrew Cuomo's motto for the state's COVID response, it said New York touch. The tail of the G had been transformed uh, into a C. And uh, many people noted that none of the other letters were messed up in any way, leading to the conclusion by many that this was some prankster's uh, comment on the sexual misconduct allegations that have been leveled against the governor over the course of the last two months and change. Now, this effect is created, the writing, as it were, the words on the side of the Corning Tower, by uh, raising the blinds and turning on the lights in certain offices. It's very simple. And it would appear, if this was a prank, that someone had simply pulled down the blinds on uh, the offices that, uh, when lit up, would form that tail of the G. 
So in response, the state uh, went in, state workers went in in the days uh, after Friday and zip-tied open the blinds in those offices, which of course led to a union complaint because if the workers who work in those offices can't close, close the blinds as uh, the, the days get warmer, it can get rather hot in there. And I say this to the prankster who might be listening to this podcast. Reach out to Brendan Lyons of the Times Union. We want to tell your story while at the same time protecting your anonymity. In my opinion, Jess, this person is like the Philip Petit of the Cuomo scandal season. And so many of these allegations are, are so serious and so damaging to the state of course, and to the governor, that it is nice to have uh, something that has a little bit of levity about it to kind of leaven the the serious, of course, of allegations of sexual misconduct and lots of other things. Of course, if you want to read more about all the things that are surrounding Governor Andrew Cuomo, visit our CapCon, Capital Confidential blog at timesunion.com. This week, in the wake of the killing of Dante Wright in Minnesota. Some protesters took to the streets in Albany. Can you tell us what happened there? Yeah, Eduardo Medina was covering uh, robustly attended. Um, several dozen people turned out at Townsend Park, which is sort of right at the confluence of, of Central Avenue and Washington in downtown Albany, it's best known as, you know, the, the little triangular park with a statue of Henry Johnson, the heroic black World War I soldier, to protest this latest awful killing in Minnesota. A very peaceful protest that uh, was followed a couple of hours later by a much more lightly attended but much less peaceful protest down at South Station. Where there was sort of a a clash at the entrance to South Station, the police station in Albany's South End. Pepper spray was deployed by the police uh, and it it was a bad scene. And it was reminiscent of the first uh, post-George Floyd protest that ended up including violence last spring. And that, once again, was an even larger rally in Townsend Park that was followed later that night. It was a Saturday night I was down there by a rally at South Station that, while largely peaceful, did devolve into um, sporadic violence and a kind of improvised Molotov cocktail was thrown. A panel truck was uh, was burned a couple of blocks away and a, a lot of damage ended up being done. And hopefully the protests will move more in the direction of what happened in Townsend Park and less so in the direction of what happened at South Station as the nation and the capital region continues this racial reckoning as we are dealing with this new killing and also is the trial of Derek Chauvin, the police officer who knelt on George Floyd, approaches its conclusion. The defense is offering its case right now. It is possible that in the next week or two, the case could go to the jury. That, of course, is something that the entire nation will be watching. 
Indeed, indeed. And the events that you mentioned from last year, we sort of took you inside the events, thanks to all your great reporting and the reporting of other folks on our staff uh, in a previous episode of this podcast. So go back and listen um, if you're looking for a refresher there. All right. And finally, everyone was wondering, will the Saratoga race course be open this summer after a very fanless summer last year? What's the latest there? Governor Cuomo announced in one of his closed press announcements on Wednesday that uh, racetracks will be able to open next week at 20% seating capacity. This is, you know, it doesn't affect Saratoga right now, but it does impact Belmont, which is another New York uh, Racing Association uh, track. Uh, It's opening for its thoroughbred season this month. Uh, Naira is, of course, ecstatic, and they are hoping that that 20% will increase as more vaccinations come aboard. You know, the Saratoga season, of course, doesn't begin in until July. So we've got plenty of running room for folks to get vaccinated, for herd immunity to, to be achieved, so we can put fans in the stands drinking pricey cocktails and losing their money on the ponies uh, in Saratoga, which is, of course, very, very important to the city of Saratoga Springs, which suffered considerably last summer from the loss of track attendees. Uh, as you well know, the number of people who were actually physically at the track last year was was virtually nil. It was course owners, it was employees, it was members of the press, including our own Tim Wilkin, and that was really about it. We did several really great episodes with Tim Wilkin of this podcast last year, kind of chronicling his experience in this very unusual season, Saratoga season. So be sure to go back and listen to those as well. And I also know that a lot of people around here are eager to get back to their, you know, treasured summer experiences. So more to come on that. Casey, thank you so much for joining us this week. And we will check back in with you next time. Just a pleasure. As always, you can read more about all the stories and issues we discuss on this podcast at timesunion.com. As mass vaccination efforts continue across the region, many have been focused on getting the coronavirus vaccines to populations that may not be able to access them as easily. One of those populations is the homeless. Reporter Eduardo Medina recently went to the Capital City Rescue Mission in Albany, where a supply of leftover vaccine donated from a county clinic became a race against time to get as many shots in arms as possible. I spoke with Eduardo afterward about the experience. Tell me a little bit about the the overarching story. What was happening here? The county and the sheriff's office like partnered together, county legislators partnered with the sheriff's office to bring vaccines to Capital City Mission. Their goal was to vaccinate uh, the homeless, uh, you know, residents who, who who hang out there, and the staff at Capital City Mission. Oh, really? Yeah, I think I heard there were 40 shots, right? 40, 40 shots. 40 shots, yeah. Uh, they originally had 25 shots, and that morning, David Poach, who is the chief of staff at Capital City Mission, woke up and got an alert on his phone, an email, saying that they had 15 more shots, so they had 40 shots to uh, administer that day. So that was their that was their mission. So the thing is, they have to do it within six minutes. 
It, it was almost like, it felt like it was an episode of like 24 or some show that's really, really fast paced where, you know, the stakes are really, really high and something has to get accomplished before time runs out. Tell us about that aspect of it. They had like less than an hour to vaccinate 40 people. And I mean, something that Capital City Mission has been challenged by is uh, finding homeless people, registering them, telling them about the vaccine, letting them know it's safe. I don't want to say convincing them, but, you know, just bringing awareness to why they should get this vaccine and why they, you know, they, it, it will save their lives, really. David Poach talked to me about how, like, you know, since vaccine rollouts were are underway, like he has gotten 250 homeless people vaccinated. Uh, the way he's gotten most of those people vaccinated is like at the end of the day, the TU Center, the county health department officials will call him and tell him, hey, we have 11 doses, 12 doses uh, left over bring as many people as you can. And so he'll take as many uh, homeless residents in his van to the TU center as quickly as possible before they, you know, run out of time to vaccinate before the vaccine becomes, you know, not efficient or, uh, you know, unusable. And if there are too many to take in his van, he'll tell the people to like, you know, walk or fast jog to the place, which is like a five minute walk apparently. And so it's been this like stressful time to, to save as many of these people as they can. Nadine, um, there's a shot for Randall. Can you get a hold of him? And so that day they were dealing with the same hurdles. You know, they couldn't find many of the homeless people because, you know, many of them don't have phones. Those who do have phones, you know, they, when they can find work, they have to do work. Like they, they have to find uh, money and, and opportunities when they can. And so if a job came up that day, many of them were calling and or texting David that, you know, they just they couldn't risk not working a day to get a shot because they needed the money. And so it was this race against time to find people to, to, to vaccinate. We're trying to figure out, um, there's 13 doses left and we're tracking down the 13. She's here. Okay, she's, she's here then. She's coming. We're going to wait. The way you write about it in your story, it's just so tense. It's It came down to the wire, right? Like the last two minutes of the vaccine's effectiveness. Like, tell us about yeah. that. It's really intense. I mean, you know, obviously the, the, the stakes are already intense. Like time was winding down. They had less than an hour to, to vaccinate 40 people, um, which is already stressful enough. And, you know, a lot of them they couldn't find. But I think what, what made it particularly stressful for David is the fact that, I mean, he throughout this whole pandemic, this what year and, and months and change, something like that. Uh, he has seen firsthand how this pandemic has just devastated so many of these people's lives that they try to help. The pandemic has created more poverty, more people without jobs, um, more people struggling with their mental health, uh, more depression, and all these issues were they were already dealing with before the pandemic. And you know, COVID nineteen hit, and it all just kind of compounded. And so for a year, they've been swimming in in a lot, all these issues. And you know, they're averaging about ten calls to nine one one a week for overdoses. Every staff member who works there, who volunteers, has had to use naloxone to. Um, re revive someone who's who's overdosed, and so it's it's just been already a stressful time, and to finally have this opportunity to save lives and to know for sure that this person, you know, whether they're dealing with poverty or you know drug addiction or what have you, they at least will not or contract COVID nineteen because we were able to give them this vaccine. Like that's a high stakes, and that's what they were dealing with, and you know this is the first time they were doing this at the mission, and so it was it was new, it was a new system, and so it was super tense. It was crowded in there. There were a lot of 
you know, it was this, this, this nice opportunity for like, you know, news organizations to go out there and interview like the officials and how nice it is that they're bringing, they're bringing vaccines to the Capucine mission. But I mean, in the corner of the room, I just saw David with his paper and his pen scratching away names and writing stuff down and like literally jogging around the building. And so I thought he would be the most interesting way to, to write about this really like insanely hard and uh, often overwhelming task, which is to, to vaccinate the homeless in, in, in our city. Aaron? No, that's Aaron. Okay. All right. So Aaron's not here. Clark can't come. That is a Herculean task for sure. Yeah. Uh, and the way you wrote it is beautiful. You also kind of chronicled some of the reactions of the folks that had received the shot, had been on the receiving end, and you know how some of them were were very happy to be receiving it. Can you talk about them as well? Yeah, you know, they, 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 there wasn't a lot of hesitancy from those who I spoke with. I mean, they were all really eager to get the shot. And once they got it, they were really excited. They, were, they just felt relieved. Um, you know, one man told me how he had been struggling with addiction as a result of the pandemic and all the stress that caused him. And he sought out a place that could help him. And that place was the Capital City Mission. And that, you know, he went there this past December. What is that, like four or five months ago now? And... Um, another person told me about how, uh, you know, they've lived in New Jersey and in New Jersey, so many of the people he knew were contracting the virus and he was so worried and he never got COVID-19, but it's just been plaguing him in the back of his mind on top of all the other issues he's been dealing with, you know, with, with struggling with, you know, bringing in income. And so it would, there was just a lot of relief there. At the same time, like when I was there following David, homeless people would come up to him in the hallways and ask him, like, can I please get this vaccine? And he would ask, well, let, let me check if you're, if you're on the list. And obviously they weren't because there aren't that many slots. And so he would put them on the back list. And I think that just shows how many of these people like are eager to get this shot and are eager to, 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 to be safe from, from this horrible disease. It also showed how like David is, you know, balancing all these emotions with people like desperate to get this or people who don't want to get it, but he's convincing them to get it. And so it's, it's just a busy time, I think, for them. He had five, five shots he said left, so he just needs five people. So, um, I don't know. Uh, I got the backup list here. We're going okay. off the people that signed up for the backup. So you got everybody that you need. You I know. think so. After the break, what can you do once you're fully vaccinated? We'll explore the CDC's guidelines. Hi, I'm Casey Seiler, editor of the Times Union. Join us for an ongoing discussion on major developments in the saga of Keith Raniere, co-founder of Nexium, the shadowy upstate New York organization at the center of the explosive federal investigation that resulted in Raniere's conviction on charges of extortion, sex trafficking, and more. We talk to former members of Nexium, discuss the latest news, and preview the likely next twists in this bizarre and disturbing story. You can find Nexium on trial at timesunion.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.
Welcome back. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. More than 320,000 Capital Region residents have been fully vaccinated against COVID-19 to date. And the question on many of their minds and minds around the country has been, what can I safely do? The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has issued a series of guidelines, and reporter Claire Bryan took a closer look at what they are. I asked her what she found out. I love the headline of this story. It's, so you're fully vaccinated. Now what? Give us a, you know, 35,000 foot view. I was curious, as I'm sure all of us are very curious now as we're starting to get vaccinated or we're past our two weeks and we we are fully vaccinated, what exactly we can do. And I, although this is a question that we've all read about and have been talking about, I wanted to understand it a little bit more clearly and really see what the CDC guidelines were and speak with some um, an epidemiologist and a public health expert about why the CDC guidelines are the way they are. And they make some really clear specifications about travel and about indoor gatherings, but they also don't go into detail about other things like outdoor gatherings and bars and restaurants and stuff. Give us, you know, four or five things that we are now allowed to do. I think first and foremost, what stood out to me is you are allowed to gather indoors with a friend or another household that is fully vaccinated, um, which I think is great news and, and something that we've all been looking forward to. You're also allowed to gather indoors with one household that isn't vaccinated if you are fully vaccinated. Beyond that, the CDC doesn't exactly specify how many um, un- fully vaccinated people or households you can gather with indoors, but from the reading and from speaking with an epidemiologist, it seems to be pretty specific just speaking like one household gathering with another or one household gathering with one or two. It's not it's not encouraging house parties, house parties, not at all. Um, Wild ragers that we've all been waiting for. <laughs> unfortunately not. Uh, that's um, too bad. Just kidding. I don't have raging house parties. <laughs> Okay, so what else? So we can gather in small, very small gatherings at people's houses without masks. What else? We can travel and you don't have to negotiate or navigate the, do I have to take a COVID test before? Do I have to quarantine? It's free to travel domestically within the country without that. Um, If you are traveling internationally, you should still check to see if the country that you're going to has requirements. They might have a COVID test requirement before or after. But that being said about travel, even though you are traveling, it's still best to wear a mask because you are in a public setting indoors with a lot of people. You don't really know if the people next to you are vaccinated or not. And so it's best just to be courteous to everyone, especially given the fact that not everyone's had access to get the vaccine maybe as quickly as you to still wear a mask while traveling. Now, that's an interesting point that you bring up because this always gets confused, I think, that people wear masks not to necessarily to be protected from others, but to protect others from you, right? Yes. And, you know, everyone has a little bit of a different situation and you just don't know when you're in public around lots of people, especially for people of color. The vaccination rates in certain neighborhoods is as low as 20 or 30 percent. 
that might not be the case for you. It's out of respect for for them. And, and also the mask wearing in public, I mean, it comes down to the fact that we don't, we still don't know a lot. And there is still information developing about the vaccines. And while, of course, they are extremely effective, and that is extremely good news to be excited and hopeful about, there is still a slight percentage and this unknown that we might know even more about, even soon, even in the next few months or the next six months, we might know more. And that's something else the epidemiologist told me was that, you know, in three, four months, we these guidelines might change and we might even be able to do more. It's just, it's just a period of of waiting and seeing and still staying and still staying relatively safe, even though more people are becoming vaccinated. Sure. And that's a tall order for a lot of people. I know we are all itching to get back to life as normal, mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. but not just yet. <laughs> so tell me, who did you talk to um, locally? The easiest thing to say there is honestly just everyone in public wear a mask. I talked to Eli Rosenberg, who's um, has a PhD in epidemiology, and he's a professor at University at Albany. You know, this will look like a very different summer depending on where you live and who you, based on those vaccine rates, race ethnicity. The risk is very different. As well as Dorsey Apleers, uh, who's a doctor of public health and assistant professor also at University at Albany. All right. So we can gather in, you know, small groups, as I said, and you said before, we can travel uh, what else can we do what, with regards specifically to bars and restaurants and maybe large events like weddings and stuff? Here's where the guidelines are not so specific. And I think that, you know, the experts that I talked to really spoke with a lot of caution in terms of other event, larger events. So being outdoors, as we already all know, is definitely the safest option. And they even encouraged if you are outdoors at an event and it's a large crowd where you're in close proximity, it's a good idea to go ahead and wear a mask because you are close to those people. But, you know, I think they also recognize that it's summertime. People are really excited about socializing again. And if you can do so outdoors, then that's great. Um, And I mean, I always think of that too. Like when the weather is nice, I want to be outdoors anyway. So if I can eat outside, that's, that's even better. With big events, you know, New York State has released guidance for larger events and sporting events, and obviously those types of things are happening, and there's those venues have their own restrictions, and so, you know, you need to be respectful of following those restrictions and kind of doing a risk assessment just as you would earlier in the pandemic. Um, now, of course, you're vaccinated, so you're that much safer, but there's still the same risk assessment that you probably need to be thinking about before just deciding to, you know, run into a big crowd, even if it's outdoors. We are a lot further than we uh, were a year ago, and I anticipate that we will continue to see that progression if we follow the guidance that has been set. I'm assuming that you have been vaccinated or are planning to get vaccinated. So uh, if that's the case, what are you looking forward to getting back to doing that, you know, you haven't really been able to do? this past year that is, of course, safe to do? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I so I have, I've gotten one dose, I'm like halfway vaccinated. And I think I'm just excited to spend time with people outside and not be worried. Like, like I said before, I'm 
a big proponent of being outside no matter what. And so I'm excited to see more friends and maybe go to slightly larger gatherings with friends outside and not feel a sense of, oh, is this the right thing to do or not? And really, and, and just feel a little bit more comfortable being outside, bopping around and seeing more people um, as the weather's nice. And that, maybe that's a boring answer, but because I know like that's not that all that different, but like I am excited to just, you know, move a little more freely around. I hear you. I share that sentiment wholeheartedly. I am optimistic. Yes, we will get there. There is some light at the end of this tunnel. Monday marked the start of the holy month of Ramadan. For Muslims around the world, it's a time for focused daily prayer, spiritual reflection, and fasting. It's also a time of shared evening meals, gatherings, and worship that culminates in the joyful celebration of Eid. News Desk coordinator and writer Azra Haki recently spoke to members of the local Islamic community to see how they're adapting their observance as they begin the second Ramadan since the pandemic began. I spoke with her to find out more. Ramadan is one of the five pillars of Islam, the other four being faith in one God, daily prayer, charity, and pilgrimage to the holy sites in Mecca once in a lifetime if you're healthy and able. So Ramadan is really the ninth month of the Islamic calendar, which is a lunar calendar. So Ramadan's about 10 days earlier each year. It does involve giving up food and drink, even water, all during the day. And most people focus on that, which is, of course, a huge part of it. But really, the idea is to be more God-conscious, to, to increase spirituality. And by giving up food and drink, you, you kind of realize that even though when you break your fast, you may have varieties of food to eat, there are people who have nothing. There are people who are starving or making do with very, very little. So that's also to create awareness of people who may not have much to eat or may have almost nothing to eat. Like we see refugees these days, or even with the pandemic, there's so many people who are food insecure. Mm -hmm. And the Quran was revealed in the month of Ramadan. So we, we, the Muslims spend more time reciting verses from the Quran. It's a form of worship. I think it was a command from God to Muslims conveyed through the Prophet Muhammad. And uh, all healthy Muslims who do not have a medical condition, who are not very young or old or traveling or pregnant women are um, expected to fast. They're required to fast. If for any reason they cannot, and it, it's much of a hardship, they may, they may give it up. They may so, not fast. You know, upon sundown, the tradition is to share a meal with, with friends and family. Can you talk about what that is and what it, what it you know, how it's typically carried out on, on a non-pandemic year? Um, traditionally, families or friends meet in the homes or here they would even meet in Islamic centers on a bigger scale. Sometimes it's a potluck style of um, meal. Sometimes it's a catered meal in the Islamic centers or uh, people choose to invite a few friends or family members into the house. Traditionally, the fast is broken with um, sweet dates. It's only traditional, there's no compulsion. 
when my kids were little and started fasting, they liked to break the fast with M&Ms. So. <laughs> They're <laughs> sweet. <laughs> yes, yes, nothing rigid there. There are prayers and then there's um, the meal and there's kind of camaraderie, there's fellowship and um, gaiety. So yeah. it, it's a happy, it's a happy time. You share a meal after having fasted all day. Now you spoke to members of the community around here uh, who shared their experiences in the past year, because obviously this would be the second Ramadan since the pandemic started. And, yes. you know, the pandemic obviously made it near impossible, if not impossible to gather for the iftar. It's, it's made it near impossible. So people had to kind of alter their, you know, alter their traditions. So can you talk to me about how people around here have done so and, and how they've kind of coped with pandemic Ramadan? Yeah, I think the first one was really a surprise and a bit of a shock to most people. It turns out some of them didn't mind isolation. It gave them more time for the family, more time to attain spirituality, and it wasn't as rushed going to school or college or work. So it was a more peaceful, more serene atmosphere is the feeling I got. And uh, one of the ladies I spoke with said... Um, she or her family members cooked something and delivered it uh, to the front steps of their friends or family. I think the Islamic Center had prepared meals and delivered it to the homebound, people who, who would appreciate a home-cooked meal. Maybe they were not able to cook too often or to the people who were not able to financially put together a good meal. So they often um, did that. And they also put together bags of uh, or boxes of groceries and delivered them to the houses of people who were on the list of uh, the food pantry receiving end. Now this year, I mean, people are getting vaccinated. The, the rules are, or the rules and guidelines, I should say, are getting relaxed a bit. What are folks saying that their plans for this year are going to be? To the best of my understanding, there's no gatherings for food. There's no gatherings to break iftar and sh share a meal in the company of your friends or family. Uh, if people choose to have a small gathering at the house, that's different. But I don't think any Islamic centers are having the, the big get togethers. There are some Islamic centers who have chosen to open for uh, uh, the congregational nightly prayers mm -hmm. with limited uh, percentage as per the guidelines. And those are pretty strict rules too. You have to be six feet apart. You bring your own prayer rug. You do all your cleaning, washing up the ritual, washing at home. They don't want to open the restrooms to have people go in there. Mm -hmm. So with some restrictions, there is some level of getting together. So there's a typical celebration at the end of Ramadan called Eid. How has that been affected? Usually there's a prayer gathering. It's like the bigger Islamic centers can hold a thousand people. And then after that, there's usually a reception and people are dressed in some in ethnic outfits and colorful outfits and the children get gifts and candy packages from Islamic centers. So last year, there was none of that. It was pretty much in isolation. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the area mosques got together and had one of them do a service on Zoom. During last Ramadan, the services did go on Zoom, so people mm -hmm. could, or whatever uh, online platform, some went with Facebook Live, etc. And you, you could tune in and listen, but for, for the Eid celebration, that's pretty much all it was.
That's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, or head over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. The Eagle is a production of the Times Union. It's produced and edited by me, Jessica Marshall, with help from the Times Union digital team and the newsroom.